Time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. Let's talk about the situation in northern British Columbia right now. Yeah. And just listening to some interviews last night with some of the uh, health officials in northern BC, especially around the Prince George area, uh, the northeast of the province, where we've got these low vaccine rates. And man, oh man, I mean, it sounds like uh, healthcare workers just exhausted up there and a lot of hospital beds yeah, just clogged it's, up. It, it's a real human resources problem up there. It's not so much beds as it is critical care nurses. We've got a surge in activity in terms of um, not just positive cases, but a surge in hospitalizations and, a, and ICU cases and a health authority that doesn't have a lot of resources. I mean, there's 300,000 people who live in the north compared to more than one and a half million in Fraser Health, for example, uh, 800,000 in the interior. And already, um, Adrian Dix disclosing this week, they've had to fly 12 patients uh, in ICU, nine of them with COVID-19, down to Metro Vancouver and Vancouver Island, Victoria, because they just don't have the capacity. Not only, it's not so much beds, they just don't have the staff in the north to service these people. And the North has really troubling low vaccination rates in uh, particularly the Peace River area. Which like is, around 50% there now? Well, a little more, more than 50. Okay. You know, 60, 65% okay. uh, in some areas. But there's a huge difference. And you see this in the in the the data uh, between a 65% vaccination rate and an 85% vaccination rate. You just do the math and just so many more people can be infected and go into hospital as yeah. a result. You know, not to do with the North, but the front page of the Times columnist today has a horrible story of a of a fellow who, someone who's 29-year-old uh, uh, family member died of COVID-19, a young woman who thought, oh, I better not get vaccinated, I might, I might get some side effects, and she's paid the ultimate price, and that is happening in the North as well. Okay, and it sort of explains, I mean, that's tragic, absolutely tragic, and the situation in the North, I mean having to medevac patients out of that area and bring them all the way to the mm -hmm. lower mainland you're separated from your loved ones your families who you know probably yeah. not able to visit you there are residents uh, of vanderhoof who've had to be flown down to vancouver yeah uh, it's tough enough to get to vanderhoof uh, let alone now trying to go the other way down to vancouver your your family member is suddenly transported hundreds of miles away from where you live and they're unvaccinated. The unvaccination no. rates in the North are very troubling. Yeah, it's really tough. Mike Bernier, who is the liberal MLA for Peace River South, uh, in conversation this morning with Simi Sarah, I really enjoyed his perspective on it. Let's have a listen here and they'll get your thoughts. Here's the liberal MLA, Mike Bernier. If I had a dollar for every person that said, I read on Facebook that, uh, I wouldn't have to do this job anymore. <laughs> you know, it's been very... It's been very challenging. Uh, we are finally over the 50% mark uh, in uh, the northeast part of the province for people being vaccinated. Uh, but there is a lot, of, uh, a lot of angst, a lot of confusion, a lot of skepticism still with, uh, with people in my region. And, you know, we've had a lot of efforts trying to uh, get it across the finish line and get the rates up. But uh, still a lot of people uh, who just really don't have trust in government in my area. Yeah, that's one of the things that jumped out at me in that interview where he said, why are people choosing not to get vaccinated? Mm -hmm. He's saying, well, people are looking at misinformation online and social media. But then he says it, it kind of boils down to many cases, distrust in government. It's they always, don't trust the government. It's always been the case in the Peace River area, yeah. very right-wing area of the province, the most right-wing area of the province. Kudos to Mike Bernier, though, and Dan Davies, their Peace River MLA, Shirley Bond, the liberal leader, John Rustad. All of them doing whatever it takes to get people vaccinated up yeah. there. They're really, and Adrian Dix has rightly accredited them with uh, really stepping up and trying to get people vaccinated. Bonnie Henry called out uh, people uh, in a very unusual, Von Bonner's got a great column today on this point where 
Bonnie Henry, Dr. Bonnie Henry, for the first time, really started to use strong language about people who spread misinformation about the vaccines, and um, also, particularly in regard to pregnancy, pregnant women, saying this is, you know, if you're pregnant, get vaccinated. There are too many pregnant women who are unvaccinated in ICUs across the country. Also calling out faith leaders in the Peace River area for actively opposing vaccinations. It's very... Wow. Uh, unsafe uh, advice from them. But for her to call, starting to call some of these people out is very interesting that they're starting to get a little tougher with the anti-vaxxer crowd. Okay, we'll see if that makes any kind of a difference. Maybe one of the biggest motivators, though, as the word filters out about just how many people are getting sick and mm-hmm. in some cases very, very seriously ill, being forced to medevac out of the out of the communities. I mean, those stories get around, those stories well, get reported. Uh, like, Maybe uh, that brings, gets people, convinces people to get the vaccine. You know, of, of 155 people in ICU, ICU yesterday, 137 of them are unvaccinated, not a single dose. Nine of them had to be flown out of the north into Metro Vancouver and Greater Victoria. And again, displacing um, beds in those areas and also putting further pressure on a health health authorities where critical care nurses are already run off their feet, let alone adding nine more people into their ICU wards. Okay, let's talk about the school notification issue. And we've seen some COVID exposures at schools. And I know you had you've been covering this story closely and talking to government health officials on it. And I think you've got a really interesting take on it. Let me play Dr. Bonnie Henry here speaking on this topic yesterday uh, when she's talking about how they will return to doing more broad broad school notifications if there's a, a COVID exposure in your kids' school. Here's Dr. Bonnie Henry on that. Initially, it was my understanding that there was a, a level of anxiety from the way that we had uh, given uh, broad school notifications last year. Um, but um, uh, we hear from parents across the province, I hear from educators, and our teams have uh, recognized that Parents do need an authoritative source to go to have an understanding of what's happening at their children's schools. So we've heard that, and we are. I've uh, asked our team to to get together right now to make sure that we can notify schools in a timely, less intrusive, and more sustainable way, and that parents will have access to that information rapidly. And I hope to have that in place by the end of this week. Okay, but Bonnie Henry, your thoughts. Yeah, so this is how policy changes. So last week, I live across the street from an elementary school in Victoria, Sir James Douglas. Some parents approached me and said, look, we're, we're, we have concerns. Uh, a number of our kids, and they're on, these are my neighbors, basically, have tested positive for COVID-19. They went in and got the test. These are six-year-olds. Uh, they did some checking with other parents, found out probably at least nine kids in several classes were infected. But the problem was, the issue was, the school was not telling them anything. Yeah. And the principal said, my hands are tied. You know, the new policy is the the health authority has to give me permission to do this. So I took their concerns directly to Adrian Dix, who got on it immediately, got his staff involved, and very quickly determined this is not on. We can't, this policy has to change. By the end of the day, the policy changed. The next day, the school was notified uh, school-wide. Everyone got a notice saying there is there is a cluster of cases in our school. As a result, that, that's led to the policy change. And what's interesting is the school now, um, many parents have made the decision based on that information that they now have in front of them, have decided to keep their kids home out of an abundance of caution. It just means there's far fewer kids at school right now in that particular school. Chilliwack. We just saw a school shut down, right? Yeah, uh, shut down. And with the Delta variant uh, out there, more transmissible, it's likely going to have wreak more havoc in schools than it did last year. 
Having said that, uh, the Center for Disease Control released their first uh, crunching of the data, the numbers, in the first week of school in terms of of positive cases. It doesn't seem to be greater than or less than uh, pre-Delta variant or last school. It's still the same percentage of cases are testing positive in kids. It's not going up. Let me get your take yesterday on my interview with Gail Dutte, who is the former president of the BC Nurses Union, taking on her own union here Mm -hmm. after the union came out opposed to mandatory vaccination for nurses. She is on the other side of it. She said nurses should be required to get vaccinated. This is the former president of the union on the show yesterday. Here's what she had to say. There's no question uh, that uh, that is the position that BCNU took during the flu vaccination and or flu vaccine. And uh, the compromise was that if you didn't have a flu vaccine, you masked and you had to mask for anywhere from five to six months. And that's, that kind of worked well for the parties for a couple of years. Uh, but this is different. Uh, this is a global pandemic. And I think uh, positions and, and leaders uh, need to adjust and change accordingly. Okay, as a former president of the BC Nurses Union. You're yeah, well, it, unions have a fiduciary uh, responsibility to represent the, the interests of their members, including health and safety. So it's interesting the Nurses Union executive has decided to interpret this, and I think it's Section 12 of the Labor Relations Code, uh, to protect the interests of these 15% of the, of the workforce that is not vaccinated potentially at the expense of the 85% of the membership that is vaccinated. If you are vaccinated with, uh, against COVID-19, you can still get COVID-19. It's, it's not 100%. So if you allow your uh, a tiny portion of your membership to go into the workplace unvaccinated in this situation where healthcare is much more transmissible, it's not like a factory necessarily or an office, it's a more le- okay. you know, lethal place, you are uh, you know, hurting the interest of the 85%. Yeah. It's an interesting argument. I think Gail today is completely correct. Yeah, I agree with her, and I think the union's wrong, The current union leadership is wrong on this. Real quickly, did you enjoy the final part of the Muhammad uh, Ali documentary on PBS? What a documentary. What, yeah. Again, uh, uh, making the persuasive case that Ali is arguably the greatest sports figure of the entire century. It was uh, He just transcended sports on so many levels. And, and the thriller in Manila, <laughs> oh, man, what a... Just and the like, rumble in the jungle. Well, oh, the, the rumble in the jungle was inspirational. The thriller yeah. in Manila was depressing. It was Two so guys violent. Just beating each yeah. other up to the point and, of you almost know, death. And Ali had a sad end. You know, well, um, Parkinson's yeah. uh, did rob him. It was amazing. It was great. They showed the. Uh, Lighting the torch in Atlanta. Oh, that was something that was, else. Uh, they didn't show um, Billy Crystal's eulogy to yeah. uh, to Ali, which was an impersonation of Ali, which has yeah. also uh, sort of gone viral. Morning, gentlemen. As a frequent caller, I have a lot of things to say, and one of them is I was in medical software uh, in Ontario, and the shortage of nurses and doctors squarely lands on the nurses' associations, unions, and the and the medical associations and the government. One of my clients was a very powerful member of the OMA, and he said, we have to get these doctors who are coming in from outside, from around the world, who want a better life. We've got to get them into the system faster, not putting them through the ring road of mm. two years to three years of retraining. And then we're like, for two examples, I'll, I'll go. I had two optometrists that were ophthalmologists that could have trained my doctors, one here in BC, <laughs> one in Ontario. They're the worst enemy is the nurses union and the doctors' associations. I feel sorry for the rank and file. I really do. But until we open up and get the government to pay for these people, get their schooling done so they can get into the system, we will then not have a shortage as we do in the north. And you pay them nicely a stipend to go up north. Mm -hmm. Sure.
Thank yeah. you. Yeah, thank Have you. a good day. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Yeah, Malcolm, that's a, that's a good call. This has been an issue for years is crediting foreign trained uh, medical professionals. South Africa, for example, uh, had many people come here from South Africa over the years, uh, particularly during the apartheid years. Uh, were fully trained in South Africa, but they could not get licensed in BC because of the, the very cumbersome licensing process. So that's been an issue for years. In terms of retaining, um, attracting and re retaining staff in the north, that is an ongoing issue. Last week, Adrian Dix announced $6.3 million to address this. Probably not enough money. Uh, to, to really uh, solve this problem. It's, gonna, it's an ongoing issue, and it has been for years. I think Caller raised a great point, and I think we should be making a greater effort to get these professionals into Canada. I mean, you, of course, you've got to make sure that healthcare professionals are properly trained and that they meet the accreditation standards in Canada, but come on, I think we can do a better job than this. Pay them properly. Give them those incentive pays to go to the, these remote areas if mm -hmm. we have to, and put it in a vaccination requirement, too. You've got to be vaccinated. Yep. Uh, Paul and Poco, Hi. Yeah, hi, gentlemen. Um, you know, I'm fully vaccinated, and um, I don't have any qualms or any conspiracy theories or anything like that. Um, but um, I spent over a month in uh, Deca Lake area at our cabin, and uh, which is, you know, a 100-mile house up north. And, uh, you know, nobody there wants to get vaccinated. Uh, they feel that it's a relatively isolated area. They're not close to anybody. They don't have malls. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and when they do go into stores, they put on a mask. But the big thing is, is that when you speak to, uh, you know, friends and, and people that I know up north, the fact is, is that they have a lot of unanswered questions. You know, for example, uh, this pandemic being, um, you know, a pandemic, which is, uh, you know, it, they don't understand why it's not a federal issue. Why is it that every province is dealing with it independently and differently? The other thing as well is that, you know, many, many people in B.C. and Alberta have traveled to Las Vegas, which is a two-hour flight from Vancouver. When we, I watched the game, the Monday night football game, 55,000 fans, referees, yep. coaches, players, no one's wearing a mask whatsoever. Not even a mask, let alone who knows how many mm -hmm. are actually vaccinated. And so it leaves a lot of unanswered questions. Okay. So, yeah. Thank, thank you, Paul, for the call. Yeah. So, first of all, healthcare is primarily a f provincial responsibility in Canada. It's not a federal responsibility. So, provinces are responsible for their healthcare systems. The feds do contribute money, but it's by and large a provincial responsibility. The vaccination rules and, and in terms of you know what's eligible in terms of vaccines and such is set by Health Canada, and then it's forwarded onto the provinces. In terms of Las Vegas. Excellent point. It, yeah. The States is a gong show when it comes to COVID-19. Every week, though, you can go to the CDC website, BC Center for Disease Control website. They do chart how where the cases come from. Relatively very, very few come from travel. It's primarily in your community. It's, you know, the vast majority of COVID-19 cases are, are you get infected at home or within your community. It's not based on travel. Okay, good news is that the vaccination rate in these areas is going up, but slowly. So Very slowly, yeah. and it's very troubling. And it's uh, I've talked to Adrian Dix, my interview with this many times, and they are very frustrated with the slow yeah. pace, but it is going up.